63rd episode of the OpFat Cast, the premier podcast for OptimismVaccine.com. I am Steve Cuff, and joining me today, I've got Adam Myros. Hi, Steve. Hey there, Myros. You sounding good? You got that coffee going, buddy? Yeah, it's, it's early morning for me. That's right. We don't normally do the early morning podcast, but here we are. It's a special edition of the OpFat Cast, too. And why is it special? Because Sean Glynis is here. Hi, Sean. Hello. Well, that doesn't make it special in and of itself because his ass is always on this no. podcast, but uh, special for a very specific reason because Optimism Vaccine premiere film correspondent Sean Glynis was at South by Southwest. And Sean, I realize that you actually went to South by Southwest uh, on behalf of another outlet, but uh, we're going to go ahead and co-op that and just say that we did it. Sound good? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Do you like the uh, the five-star accommodations we got for you? Yeah, on my badge, I actually under film and query, I, I uh, like scribbled. I scribbled the optimism vaccine on it too. So um, nice. We actually we okay. we sent Dev, Devlin Satan fingers, but uh, we haven't heard from him. So I, I don't know if we're ever going to see him. Devlin Faraci. Yeah, <laughs> Devlin. No, that's that's different. He was he was transcending. Uh, you know, just meditating, <laughs> and he didn't have time to go. Uh, no sight of of him. That's good. I don't think it would have been a great crowd for him at that point. Uh, although you did you did make it over to the Alamo Draft House, so I figured he'd be out front like signing autographs or something. Yeah, he was just like up in the balcony with Tim League, just looking over cackling festivities. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple. So there's like I didn't really know much about what I was getting into, but there's a couple uh, Alamo Draft Houses. There's like one downtown on Sixth Street, which if you haven't been to Austin, Sixth Street is kind of like Bourbon Street. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, there's there's like a small like two screener there, and then there's one that's a little bit south of town um, that's like a huge uh, compound of a theater that's surrounded by um, like condos and high rises and Shake Shacks. Ooh, well Shake Shack, that's not bad. <laughs> so Sean, did you get any uh, festival literature? Like uh, they give you some handouts to uh, figure out yeah. where things are. You ever wonder who writes those? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that was good. <laughs> there was um there was like spots to uh sort of uh relax or, you know, catch catch a moment of zen. Um there was a lot of uh rhetoric like that in there. So, I don't know, mm-hmm. I'm a little suspicious now that you say. <laughs> that makes sense. We're going to have to do some investigative reporting to figure out uh who was writing those pamphlets. Yeah, but uh, so what do you guys want to hear about? Uh, do you guys um, want to hear about the the the, the movies, the uh, experience, uh, all of it? Listen, I got to be frank with you, Sean. Um, the only reason that we sent you to South by Southwest is because <laughs> um, I want to hear about John Cena and how you you were near him. Oh yeah, did you touch his pecs? Yeah. What was that like? Um, yeah. So his movie Blockers, which I think is coming out in like a week or two, um, was premiering. And uh, I went to some movie or something, and it was with these big premieres like that, and then Ready Player One, especially with Spielberg being there, um, and then um, there was probably another one, I can't remember, that premiered. It was sort of like, 
they're sort of big deals for people like especially for people covering big outlets so you got to get there like you got to get there even with primary access like pretty early like a couple hours or in the case of ready player one um people were getting turned like people with primary access were getting turned away two hours before the movie started that's insane Um, but for blockers i didn't really care as much to see the movie as much as like to watch um yeah john cena roll up uh judd apatow was also there but he's he's kind of bland man in him in himself, but um, John Cena was there, and people were just going nuts. Uh, he looked really good, had a really nice suit on, and um, uh, people, uh, uh, as you might imagine, were telling him that they couldn't see him. And uh, <laughs> uh, but no, he was he was great, uh, really good sport. He was like signing people's autographs and like saying hi and shaking hands and stuff. It was it was nice to see like a huge star. Um, that sort of generous i'd be kind of disappointed if when he walked out of the limousine the the song didn't immediately hit yeah <laughs> it has to right he's got to have like a guy like a hype man that just follows him around with like a a boom box there and just some hits weird play guy who was clearly not as equipped for being a bodyguard as john cena <laughs> is <laughs> but i don't know what exactly his position was but he had a stern face and uh i mean i could probably have have you know taking a shot at him um <laughs> anyway yeah I, I saw him um i i saw lots of famous people uh i i saw spike lee after his movie i i uh it was actually kind of funny um we like kind of like everybody went to the to the exit it was a small screening and it was um <clears throat> pretty quiet and intimate and after he did this like very curt q a um we met at the exit door at the same time, like Ooh. to the point where like we had to look at each other to see who was going to let the other person go first, uh, which I obliged, of course. I would have cut in front of him. <laughs> Sean, would you say in that situation you felt like you did the right thing? I did. Good. I, I, That's good. I did. Uh, yeah, I do. Um, yeah, there's... Uh, I went to Comedy Bang Bang, and Tatiana Maslany was on the, the the thing, which was surprising. And and she's she's uh, she's got the movie star look, as does uh, Ethan Hawke, who is at um, Paul Schrader movie that he's in. Uh, Ethan Hawke is a beautiful man. Wait, more beautiful than Scott Ackerman? <laughs> uh, yes. Um, but uh, yeah, Barry Jenkins also saw a, key, uh, a keynote from him. I I, uh, I got pretty close to, to to the front of that, and he is also a beautiful man. Lots of beautiful men here in in scenic Austin. Okay, so what yes. what movies did you Paul see? Paul Schrader, not so beautiful. Paul Schrader, not beautiful, but that's you know that's given. What, what what did you end up seeing? Like, how many movies were you able to see in the course of your trip? Like, you were there for what three four days? Uh, I was there. I got there Saturday, left Thursday. Okay, that's um, a long week. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was enough time. Uh, but Thursday, I didn't really see anything. Um, but uh, <clears throat> let's see, I saw. Well, I got there and and went to. Um, I was with uh, the, the editor and founder of, of Film Inquiry, which I was there on on the behalf of. Um, met her, Mananda Repair, and. Um, and she was like, let's go to this Westworld panel because it just like 
that's what was happening. And I was like, oh, okay, let's go. And uh, it was the first thing that I did there. And uh, I have no interest in Westworld. But um, it turned out to be a really, really weird experience. Um, because uh, one, Tandy Newton was like talking about, uh, talking very off the cuff and, and, and sort of passionately about um, the uh, mineral mining crisis in the Congo. Oh. Uh, and how and how it relates to our uh, technological dependence, you know, like that goes into all these Apple products, for instance, um, and how like it's this militia is there, like preserving uh, this industry by brutally raping and abusing families, like you know, like Whoa. making men go into the industry while like their children watch them get beaten you know and, mm. and all t- like she I, she went into great detail that was uh, quite extraordinary um but uh and then after that elon musk came out uh <laughs> who um nobody expected but Did you boo him? Nolan, i would have booed him yeah, uh no um it was weird people like so jonathan nolan introduced him uh christopher nolan's brother um to talk about Mars or some garbage. It was, it was weird, but it was so odd and tone deaf because Elon Musk came out and was like talking about how we could talk all day about saving the world's problems, but we need to be positive and explore the unexplored and all this stuff. And, and uh, it was a very, very odd experience. uh, Yeah. That seems like like, a weird thing to come after the, you know, discussion of, I don't know, exploitation of people in the Congo. Yeah, it was bizarre. And it's like, dude, you have the money to fix these problems. He's like, no, 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 no. Mars, we need to get to Mars. Or more importantly, I need to get to Mars. Um, And you could just tell that Tony Newton was just like sort of uh, despondent and just taken aback. Uh, But everybody was on their feet. Ugh. God, Um, I want to pants Elon Musk. It was fucking dork. (laughs) um okay so i saw spike lee's movie passover which which was uh pretty interesting it's it's just like a it's he he like shot a production of steppenwolf theater in chicago uh it's this like two-man play about uh police brutality and and homeless black men um that was that was solid um wasn't great but uh, it was interesting um i saw um uh, I saw Martyr, this this Lebanese movie. That was, um, I don't think it's gotten picked up at all, but it's just this like really quiet movie about uh, this this boy who or this this young man who dies tragically, and it's uh, about about his friends sort of um, taking care of his body after he dies. Um, so that's that's I, not a prequel to French horror film Martyrs, right? It's not the no, alien to well, its aliens. I, <laughs> I can't speak to that because I haven't seen Martyrs, but my guess is no. Mm-hmm. You uh, should watch Martyrs with uh, your girlfriend, Sophie. I think she'd love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Actually, I would recommend, if anyone's out there listening, uh, you know, uh, if you need a little date advice, first date, you know, you swipe you swipe right on the Tinder and you get a girl, uh, just invite her over for some Martyrs. That's it. Martyrs and pizza. <laughs> martyrs and pizza. Um, okay, I'll do that. Speaking of movies and food, this is something I want to talk about because we mentioned the Alamo Draft House. Um, so South by Southwest is 
a festival to, you know, pollster new films, and almost every showing has um, the filmmaker and or an actor uh, mm-hmm. that does a Q&A, right? So, which is very cool. You get to sort of like, it, it, it adds a new dynamic and, and sort of like contextualizes some stuff and you just get to ask questions and yeah and, just, and audiences full of guys can be like uh this is more of a a, a comment or an observation than a question but uh, i just wanted to say <laughs> there was um i expected that every single time i think there was probably like uh one or two of those uh it wasn't too bad though but uh, a lot of more sort of informational questions but um uh Anyway, although I will say at the Spike Lee Q&A, somebody – this is a weird thing that happened a couple times um, to different filmmakers where people were, like, soliciting them to make a particular movie. Like, can you make a movie about this? And it's like, what? really how this whole work, this whole thing works. I love that. It's just like, why hasn't Spike Lee directed a Marvel movie? It's like, do you think he fucking wants to? Well, it's like somebody at the Spike Lee Q&A was like – um, like a local Austinite was like, um, well, they started the question with, uh, well, you know, um, Austin is considered the, the most liberal city in the world. And like Spike Lee cut him off was like the world, Texas, maybe. And the, <laughs> they were like talking about the, um, the, the wealth, like disparity, um, in the city, you know, similar to something like Milwaukee yeah. and, but, but in a more like liberal town and how, that is sort of like the, the, the label of liberalism is sort of uh, under um, it's underscored by this uh, segregation. And they're like, would you consider making a movie about that? And it's like, that's don't do that to somebody. Yeah. That's really fucking stupid. I don't understand why people that's. Oh. Yeah. It's like, that's anyway, to not get back to the whole, <laughs> to get back to the whole like Alma draft house uh, thing. Um, uh, there's, you know, service, if you haven't been to one of these, you know they 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 bring you waters and and you you can get drinks, beer, popcorn, meals, and it it's it's just a really bizarre aspect for a festival where the filmmaker is often in attendance, and um, like at the Spike Lee movie, which is about police brutality. Mm-hmm. Um, this dude is eating tacos, you know, a plate <laughs> of tacos next to me. Um, uh, during Martyr, uh, like it opens and it's just like, Martyr is probably like the most like solemn, quiet movie I saw there. And it opens on like this 10 minute passage of like no dialogue. And it's just like sort of a camera going around this man's nude body while he's in the water. And, um, their servers just like like clanking water down on on everybody's uh, <laughs> you know place and and the the filmmaker's sitting right there and it's embarrassing mm. um anyway uh when i saw the the this movie Jeanette, the childhood of joan of arc which is bruno dumont's um most recent film which is insane um and i'll get to that in a second but uh this woman was eating a hot dog, like basically right next to me. She was like, yeah. basically putting the hot dog in my face <laughs> while we were watching this <laughs> this movie. Um, oh yeah, that happened. Like I, I went to see this movie, Lean on Pete by Andrew High, and uh, this guy that sat next to me immediately ordered a medium rare burger, 
So I, I like moved down a couple seats because I just like why you have to eat that in the dark. Mm. Yeah, they get those First meat juices dribbling down his chin. You could have <laughs> slurped them up, man. Yeah, so the, like, the, I think your point is what we need. And listen up, Tim League. Uh, we need thematically appropriate menus for each film. I agree. Yes. What What would like be good? Beach Bellini for Call Me by Your Name, or for Joan of Arc, uh, Shish Kebab. I don't know. <laughs> God. S'mores. Uh, yeah. Okay. So this, I, I do want to touch on this Joan of Arc movie. Uh, I know we're probably going to talk about it. Jack went to see it, and it's coming to LA in uh, in like a month. And I know that Jake is going to see it. So we're, we're going to like touch on that in a, on a pod uh, in in a little bit. But um, it's so insane, and I think that it's going. I, I think that it, it has an opportunity to be the opback choice of the year. Oh wow! Um, it's a uh, so so it takes place in the 15th century and, and it follows Joan of Arc is like, you know, like an 11 and then 15 year old or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's just her like wandering around in this like French countryside with like sheep there occasionally buying. And she's it, it's it's uh, I described it as a, a, a new metal comedy musical biopic. So wait, wait uh, where, where does the new metal come in? Is like Roland by Limp Biscuit plan? Um, it's, uh, the score, the score is really insane. Um, so she's singing, right? Like a classical musical, mm-hmm. but it's often to this new metal soundtrack. That's and so weird. It's yeah, it's insane. And then, and then like, sometimes it's just her singing in monologue, but sometimes it's like in dialogue with other characters where they're like singing back and forth and, and arguing about the futility of war and suffering and, and, mm-hmm. and Christianity. Um, but it's like, and then occasionally it breaks into her tap dancing in the sand and head banging. And uh, there's this, there's this great like sound effect stuff or where, or lack of sound effect, but just like sound design where they leave in the sound of the hair, like hitting the sand. And it's so weird and, uh, hilarious, but, um, it, it's nuts. a divisive movie. And, and I, I know I went into it knowing that a lot of people thought it was like unbearable or whatever. But, um, it's the kind of thing where you read bad reviews and you're like, this sounds amazing. Um, and it is, uh, and, uh, yeah, I have no idea if I would like this movie or not, but I want to see it just cause that sounds yeah. ridiculous. Uh, but they, so there's no Limp Bizkit though. What about drowning pool? Do we have drowning pool? The song bodies perhaps <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's all original. I'm, I'm sorry to say, oh. um, but uh, there's also some rap stuff in it, too, but I don't want to give too much away. Um, but, yeah, a lot of people left during this uh, screening. It played at the same time as Ready Player One, so I have a feeling a lot of people just, like, walked into, you know, whatever was, was starting at that time. Sure. When they couldn't get into it. Um, yeah, like the woman who was putting hot dogs in my face, she was like, what is this movie? Is that a euphemism? Like, before it started. <laughs> I was like, oh boy. Yeah, you're you're in for something. I think you're the only person at South by Southwest that didn't see Ready Player One because that was that's all I saw on Twitter. Yeah, there's there's a lot to do about that. Um, but yeah, her her this woman's partner was also. It's a, it's the type of movie where like we we talked about on the pod. Like, well, did you get a chance to see the Square yet, Steve? No, I haven't. I I have it like on my list on Hulu, but I just I haven't had the time yeah. to watch it. Like that and like uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer, I know that me and Myros had talked about sort of like laughing in a theater with, with people that that clearly did not find it as funny. Yeah, they don't um, get the joke, yeah. 
That's um, a lot of what this is. And and maybe it has a lot to do, like maybe it's contingent on mood, but there's a handful of people in this screening that were just like convulsing with laughter, myself included. And then a lot of people who, like this woman sitting next to me, just put her hood over her eyes as soon as she finished her hot dogs. Um, (laughs) Or people were just leaving. But Mm. it's, it's it's an insane movie. But anyway, we'll talk more about that. At another point. Sure, sure. Um, uh, I saw Eighth Grade by Bo Burnham. Oh, uh, yeah. Was- that Now, that premiered at Sundance this year. Is that right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I, I there's a lot of buzz around that one, so I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think. Yeah. And I, this was the first movie that I saw that I like actively anticipated uh, because I, I think Bo Burnham is a guy with his head on his shoulders. Um, he's, it, I mean, his stuff is really good and uh, his, his stand-up stuff, but also he's... He's a guy that that is really smart, and um, this movie is really good. Uh, it didn't disappoint. It's about um, well, he he was there and he introduced it as sort of like he said eighth grade was the worst time in his life, and um, this moment in time might be one of the worst times in our life as a country. And um, speaking mainly of the internet, and uh, he's like, so I kind of wanted to see what it would be like to be in eighth grade right now and so um it's about this eighth grade girl uh played by a girl who just graduated eighth grade and um and sort of uh how she's developing her online persona and just navigating this transition um in her life but it's really good it's funny and it's it's nice and warm and yeah it's a good movie it's it's sort of a a crowd pleaser but not like it's not condescending or anything like that. It, it's it's very satisfying. Nice, yeah. I think um, there's been like a, yeah. a streak of these movies for the last like three years. It feels like because we got uh, Edge of Seventeen, which I thought was fantastic. Uh, we got Lady Bird last year, and now this eighth grade movie. And it feels like we've got like the uh, I don't know <laughs> all, all these movies. Yeah. They, they kind of I mean, aside from being about like you know adolescent girls, uh, they're. I don't know. There's there's a there's a, a lack of pretension and a warmth to all these movies, and they're just really endearing. Yeah, and I wrote like in my in my recap of of eighth grade that like Bo Burnham is sort of giving giving agency to this demographic that nobody really cares about except for advertisers, yeah, you know, companies trying to make money, um, uh, which is really nice. And and those other two films that you mentioned have as well, and and I like all three of them quite a bit, and they sort of each from one to the next sort of break down or, or become less, um, less formulaic. Um, I guess you could say, I mean, I like mm-hmm. them all, but, but this sort of like is even more feels even more, um, I guess, I don't know, independent and, and, and has, has a interesting style to it that, that feels new, but it's weird because I don't know. Have you guys seen Bo Burnham specials? Yeah. Like he has a very distinct, like, visual style in those and it it's mm-hmm. weird how it translates to 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 a narrative film it it works yeah. that's interesting because I, yeah. I i wouldn't i wouldn't think i mean i don't know how much uh, input he had in, in the production of his of his stand-up specials but he does have a really distinct style but I, yeah, yeah. I, I never would have thought that that would translate to dramatic filmmaking so yeah now i want to see this yeah. even more that's cool yeah it's hard to describe but you'll know it when you see it um I I saw this movie American Animals, which I wouldn't be surprised if it was it. It's like this white criminal story, like these these four bored Kentucky 
white men who turn to crime because they fear their life is just mundane. And we've all been um, there. Yeah. Uh, Barry Keegan is in it, which I was excited about, but he's kind of sidelined. But um, it's it's one of these movies that's just like very flashy and, uh, you know, it's 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 a lot like Baby Driver and it takes from Guy Ritchie and Quentin Tarantino. Um, and there's like literally a Reservoir Dogs like bit in it where, you know, they're talking about what color, like you're Mr. Pink, you're Mr. It's just like, who needs this? <laughs> um, but the movie is is not good. It's it's but it's one that like I wouldn't be surprised if it was. It's not as bad as um. What's that Willem Dafoe movie that everyone that that kids love? The Florida Project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Spider Man. You know I'm talking about. No, the stupid one that that uh, Boondock Saints. Oh, Boondock Saints. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. Oh, it's, it's so. Not, so this is like a Boondock Saints esque movie. I I don't know. It, it's probably not. It's not as bad as that. But I wouldn't be surprised if it occupied the same space eventually. Yeah, uh, it it's got the the cult power. bro vibe. Yeah, it doesn't have the the star power to really like bring people in mass to the cinema. It, it's actually the first MoviePass uh, acquisition, and um, the Orchard bought it, and the Orchard doesn't really do big. Uh, properties so it, it, you know it's going to be like sort of this cult classic but uh it sucks because uh, it, it's just like sort of giving pathos to these white criminals the way that uh you know you see after uh school shootings and stuff like that mm. in the headlines that's my yeah. favorite type of movie where they're like hey aren't dickhead white criminals really good and cool and then they just that's that's yeah. it there's nothing no interrogation of that at yeah. all there's literally one there's one uh, uh woman in the film i mean besides like a couple like uh, mom with one line or something like that and she it's Ann Dowd, and uh she uh they terrorize her and then they they feel bad about it. oh so it's a hybrid i should say like it's a hybrid between documentary the guy's a documentary filmmaker prior but it's this hybrid of of narrative and and um documentary stuff so it's very flashy and um uh, it sort of breaks in and out of of the those two styles, and um, so it's something that like people it keeps people interested in in its style enough to to sort of not really consider what he's doing. So engaging but hollow is that a fair assessment? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, uh, but anyway, enough about that movie because it sucks. Um, I saw First Reformed, which is Paul Schrader's new movie, and I I think that that uh, I think that. This will also be sort of an op-fact classic of, of 2018. It's it's really good, and if you like Paul Schrader, this is this is probably a lot of people would consider uh, not only a return to form, but sort of uh, the logical conclusion of, of his work as a filmmaker. Um, it's it's a sad, uh, downtrodden movie about a priest um, uh, going really dark. Yeah, it's good. All right. Um, Anything else? Uh, was was there anything? Okay, so if you had to pick best and worst thing that you saw at South by Southwest, what would be your picks? Best is definitely Jeanette, the childhood of Joan of Arc, um, right. and worst is that American Animals. Uh, I should mention though too, like well, I said I I, I saw Lean on Pete, which is good, um, and about sort of this boy becoming homeless, um, and and it's about a boy and a horse. But um, oh, that fucking horse movie. I saw the trailer yeah. for that, and I, 
Was that actually good? That was actually good. It's good. It's good. I, I think I gave. It, I would say it's like a seven out of ten. It, okay. It's good. Because um, I I saw the trailer and I couldn't help but laugh because it felt like if if you were to yeah, prequel. Well, I mean, one, it could be a zoo prequel for sure, and he and it kind of they kind of make it seem like he wants to fuck the horse. I mean, let's be honest. Watch the trailer; yeah, it's it's kind of horse fucky. But that aside, it, it's like if if you put all the things that make like a critically acclaimed indie movie into a computer, oh, sure. and like the algorithm spat out a movie, that's what the trailer for that film is. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah. It, it, it's kind of like that. It, it's, um. God, I'm kind of forgetting the analogs that 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 came to mind, but yeah, it's it's um, but it, it's it's warm and it and it has some stuff, you know. Like we talked about a fantastic woman, it kind of has a similar trajectory where you're just seeing this guy's life get worse and worse. But this has sort of the generosity that that movie doesn't have, um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 good. I, that's all I have to say about it. It's good. Uh, it's by the guy who did Looking for HBO, and he did Weekend and Forty Five Years uh, a couple years ago. Hmm. And I, I haven't seen Weekend, but everything that I've seen of his is like good, not great. Uh, yeah. Which is, you know, I, I'm fine. glad to have it. Sure, sure, that works. All right. Well, shit, um, John. Uh, well, I, I, I one one other one other thing that I saw that um, it's called. Uh, have you guys heard of this? Uh, Sorry to bother you. Oh yeah, you saw that. Yeah. What? Okay. Because I, I, somebody sent me the trailer to that, and they're like, "Dude, you gotta, you gotta watch this." It looked completely bonkers. Like, what? What is it? Explain that movie yeah, to me. It is bonkers. It, 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 this was one that really like got a ton of buzz dur- just during the week, and um, like I, I had, I went to probably its like second or third showing, and and I still had to wait in line for quite a bit. Um, yeah, it's it's got what's his name from Atlanta. Um, uh, Danny and, Glover uh, is the only recognizable face. No, I can't remember. Donald Glover. <laughs> oh, this movie had no, no. Danny Glover's in the movie. Oh, right. Yeah, Danny Glover's yeah, in yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, Danny and Donald. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, the scrawny guy that that plays uh, Donald Glover's friend. Um, anyway, uh, and it has Tessa Thompson, who's who's really good. Yeah, she's great. Um, but it is bonkers. It's um. I can't remember. I, I should know more about about the. I should have more of a breakdown since I'm talking about it. But I didn't write about this movie because uh, I saw it with other people who liked it a lot more than I. But uh, it's it's a lot like Idiocracy, in but but it doesn't have. It's a satire, but I think it has a bit more sense than Idiocracy does. Um, and it it takes place like now in terms in instead of like in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it plays less like an onion headline, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's about this this guy who um, is a uh, he's a call uh, he works at a call center, and it's sort of about him finding his uh, his voice there, which is funny because uh, it's about like when when he works there, he has to code switch, and David Cross plays his voice. <laughs> um, that kind of gives you an idea of sort of the surreal nature of the movie, but it goes crazy. And Army Hammer plays like the CEO of this company, and it it just becomes this satire of of uh, capitalism, and it's really bizarre. I, I I would I would definitely suggest going to see it because uh, I I admire it more than I like it, kind of thing. Sure, it's sure. Definitely something to experience. 
All right. Uh, is that does that wrap up the film, Sean? I I'm interested yeah. in this uh, this stupid panel you went to because that seemed to elicit oh, which some one? interesting conversation. <laughs> which stupid the, panel? Uh, <laughs> the cherry pickers. Oh God. <laughs> uh, Cherrypickreviews.com. Um, yeah, I I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't think I'm really the the defining voice on it, but. Um, uh, these the this this website that um it's just started and it's it's working as an aggregate that that opposes rotten tomatoes in that it is a collection of solely uh women uh reviews and is it uh, that's all is this going to be an aggregator that's all it is yeah wow ah uh, god i i think this is very misguided yeah, I the, the the two women that I went to the panel with uh, were furious uh, the entire time, and um, had to sort of like one one of them had to leave the room at one point. Um, wow, it's very. I I, I summed it up as um, well. The web design is very much like women's lib aesthetic, uh, which kind of fits its uh, make feminism great again uh, ethos. Um, it's trying trying to swing the pendulum the other way in in a, uh, in an attempt to try and get the pendulum in the middle, basically, you know, uh, in terms of how uh, female criticism is treated. And um, you know, the the panel had some like uh, critics that um, I I think I admired a lot of the things that they were saying in general, but I don't no home like this site is not going to take off it it looks like garbage um it it doesn't it doesn't feel properly vetted mm-hmm. through the right people or uh properly invested in or anything like that it's 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 also it's also called cherry picks and it has this sort of cherry very like girly aesthetic and uh also its name is could probably be interpreted as transphobic or essentialist um and everything about sort of the theme of it is like, yeah, we're going to have this. Basically, it's like a Bechdel test where it's like a cherry. I can't remember all the stupid puns they make in it, but it's like they have a cherry bucket thing instead of tomato meter. And they have like cherry blossoms, which is like this section where they're going to feature like young women, like students and whatnot reviews. And they're doing like it, it's all of this stupid cherry, this cherry, that cherry stems or whatever. And it's just <laughs> oh, like nobody's going to take this seriously. And uh, the women that I was there with found it extremely condescending. Well, if you were looking to create an alternative forum to Rotten Tomatoes, it would be best to just obsessively glom onto the fact that it involves a fruit. I I don't I don't understand the impulse behind such a site where it's just like I I, I guess that you are your heart's in the right place, but it, it all reeks right. of this like separate but equal film forum to me it's it's so strange to have the impulse to be like well i know what we should do segregate all the women's reviews over here that they'll they'll seem more important it's like well this is not the solution and i think i I think it's definitely important to boost women's voices in in film criticism because obviously there's the disproportionate amount of loud stupid men what up devin farachi uh but that being said i think an aggregate site is literally the worst way to do that because 
it minimizes the reviewer. You know, it's it's just all you're doing is you're taking all of these well written, well thought out critiques right. and you're grinding like them the into review sausage. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. it's not the dissolve for women. It's it's just review sausage. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's there's it, it was it was kind of like watching a train wreck. Um, but um, and yeah, it just seems misguided. Uh, there's there's a lot of questions that people had about it. Um, but yeah. I did get a chap, uh, a cherry picks themed uh, chapstick ball out of it on the way out. So oh boy, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad I didn't have to see that. It would somebody be asked somebody uh, during the Q and A. Somebody asked about the name, uh, which I was hoping was sort of a you know sort of a subtle jab. And the woman who founded it or co-founded it just sort of like did this extremely circuitous story about how she felt she just needed to make this site and didn't address the possible essentialism at all, which was interesting. She just really loved the cherry poppin' daddies back when in the 90s. <laughs> Who didn't, right? Swing was king cherry in the 90s, baby. <laughs> cherry poppin' mommies. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like that. I don't endorse. Do not endorse. Um, well, but, yeah. Okay, I, I kind of want to, before we... we Move on. I kind of want to talk just a little bit about the experience in general of what it's like to be at this festival, um, which is, uh, if that's okay. Um, and when I first got there, like sort of, I, I knew, and I don't know how much you guys knew, but uh, sort of that that South by Southwest is kind of a burden on on locals. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it's just sort of this huge thing that you know uh, breaks down traffic and you know it does a lot for the commerce i'm sure but um as far as like people's sanity it, it, it's it's you know kind of hard on them and uh i took a bus down from from the place i was staying and um uh immediately people were just like talking about how like the bus driver didn't know like the new route that she had to take and people were just like god damn south by southwest and it was just like Okay. Uh, yeah, Jeez. me too, man. I hate I hate this thing. Uh, this is stupid. Who would go to this? Um, and uh, there's also sort of, I think actually a film, a documentary was featured at the fest that 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 uh, uh, highlighted this. But there's like a a homelessness, like there's a homeless population that's large, and I think a lot of them are refugees. And um, um, there's you know they're all over um, the the city, and it's this extremely weird juxtaposition um, of of these people who are you know tech there for like tech companies and tech elites, and you know you got Elon Musk right there, and 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 surrounded by this homeless crisis, um, and. That sort of exists, and it sort of casts a shadow that nobody really talks about at it, including myself. But um, uh, there was one moment where, the, you know, there's food trucks everywhere, and just outside of a food truck, like literally in front of one, there's just like this guy uh, being operated on by medics, 911 style, um, just like cleaning him up. And people are just like wolfing down food, and, it, it you know, it, I don't know. It's weird. Like, it's sort of like ripe for some, like, really powerful photojournalism that I hope is happening. Um, but yeah, anyway. Hmm. Well, as someone who lived in Seattle for 
near three oh, years. Sure. I, I, I could understand this uh, kind of charmless juxtaposition of a, a city where people sort of flocked to at some point because of its progressive policies and it had a cool vibe to it. And certainly Austin was always that oasis in Texas. And now mm-hmm. I can't I can't think of a, a place that seems less appealing to me than than Austin, Texas, because I I know what it is. It's Seattle and Texas, and it's just this thing where later capitalism has eaten the city alive, and it's just a, a strange and disquieting uh, and environment. The, I, yeah, and, and I should note that the only the only comment I heard um, that was taking uh, the Alma Draft House people to task for their part in sort of the decay of the Austin film uh, community was comedy bang was Scott Ackerman who joked about hanging out with Harry Knowles uh, <laughs> as one of the locals. <laughs> but, um, it was, it was just sort of this uh, unspoken thing um, that, that was happening. Yeah. I wonder, are you going to return for fantastic fest? <laughs> no, I, 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 I probably would return to South by Southwest. I don't know how this is coming off, but I, I, I did have a really good time. Um, and I didn't know what to expect as far as like quality of films and, and stuff there. But I mean, I was surprised by how much really good stuff I got to see and just seeing like people like Barry Jenkins speak or Olivia Assayas, um, speak, it was, was, uh, really great. And, and seeing like the filmmakers talk about their work was, was, um, it was cool. Sure. Sure. I'd, I'd like to see Paul Schrader, but I just wish it wasn't in Austin. Well, Paul Schrader too was like it, it was one of those things where his Facebook pre- presence, you know, is is uh, awful. He's an idiot. Um, but when he talks about movies, I, which I saw, I kind of forgot like how extremely smart he is about the medium. Um, so that that was interesting, and and he also talked about how he's he did an update of his of his classic text transcendental style and film um that is coming out in may so that's cool too nice Ooh. uh well you know sean i'm glad we got to talk about south by southwest but why don't we talk about some real movies now uh <laughs> you guys saw tomb raider <laughs> yes kind of. what, what was that like uh, I, I only say that because it just looks like it looks like the most middle of the road action film of all time and i, I just want that confirmation Confirmed. Uh, as, that's exactly as Sophie it. called it, Room Raider, because no one's going to be in there. <laughs> it, I I will go so far as to say it's it's probably the best video game movie ever made. But that's, <laughs> that's fair. That's Wait, better than Doom Raider. starring The Rock? Uh, yeah, probably a little better than Doom starring The Rock. Better uh, than Mortal Kombat starring JCVD? Oh, uh, that was Street uh, Fighter, Sean. Yeah, JCVD is not in Mortal Kombat. That's there's the Highlander. Yeah, <laughs> Mortal Kombat actually rules because it's just Enter the Dragon with like Mortal Kombat skin slapped on it, which is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> and I would say Street Fighter not so great, but it does have probably the best Raul Julia performance ever. So that's something. Well, there yeah. was the original uh, Laura Croft Tomb Raider as well. Oh, I mean, you, you talk about the. Uh, the Angelina Jolie ones? Yes, which I saw in cinema. I, I did not see those, actually. But Pretty cheesy. Yeah, that's, that's what it seemed that, like. that the difference between... I, I guess now that uh, they've managed to make a video game movie that is a very functional 
workmanlike film. It's kind of uh, I don't know. It's it, it's easier to to see the charm in something like the Mario Brothers movie because it's just <laughs> the most fucking insane thing. Yeah. That, I can't conceive of anyone making, uh, especially in relation to that property. But this is, uh, I, I have never played a Tomb Raider game in my life, and uh, I, I don't have any affinity for any of it. But uh, it looked like a fine movie uh, seeing the trailer. I was like, oh, you know, you can see uh, old Boyd Crowder uh, doing some scenery chewing. And it, it just looked, uh, it looked people, okay. Don't people like the Resident Evil movies or at least – one or two of them? Don't trust those people. Anyone who likes those movies can fuck off. <laughs> I, I'm just asking. I don't know. Those uh, movies are not not functioning movies. No, and and it's one of those series too where every once in a while you'll run into some guy who'll be like, <laughs> well, actually, you know, the third movie is uh, is severely underrated, and uh, you know, it's got a great story and special effects, and it really contributes to the mythos of the video game. Fuck off. Those movies fucking have suck. You, have you played Tomb Raider at all, Steve? Yeah, yeah, I played the original game, uh, the first three i played on my playstation one uh when i, I was a, a wee boy and then i think the new movie is based off of the 2013 reboot which i played so okay yeah what was your question I, so going in uh this was my 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 idea was that um the only pieces of tomb raider canon are uh cargo pants a belt a gray tank top and breasts yes uh so which has been contended in in uh idiotic discourse for this film yeah okay so in the original tomb raider like the definitive laura croft outfit and and you wear a couple of different outfits but it's she has just astronomically large uh, polygon boobs uh she wears a blue tank top and she wears uh like cargo kind of booty shorts in the in the reboot she wears pants and like a dirty t-shirt so she went from like excuse me she went from like sex pot ridiculous outfit to uh basically like Indiana Jones covered in mud. Uh but and she's yeah. not very booby in the in the in the remake either. And uh, it, it's weird because I mean people take the original series to task before they rebooted it and, and they should because there's a lot of like just gross dumb shit in it. Um especially the way they portray Laura Croft is like, "Oh, she's just this you know, gazillionaire, and and she just likes you know romping around in her in her underwear and and raiding tit- the titular tombs here. But also, the games themselves are fucking ridiculous. Like one of the first things you do in Tomb Raider Two is you're in like a cave and you fucking you you fight a dinosaur. It's like an actual T Rex that you kill with your dual pistols that you have. Like it's nuts. Uh, whereas the reboot is is much more. I don't know. It feels much more grounded. Like if Indiana Jones was like, I'm not going to be pulpy. I'm serious now, which is a, a thing that video games during that time period were sort of trending towards, which is like, you know, the, the gritty realism or whatever, uh, which is fine. But it's like you think you could find a happy medium here where you can keep the pulpy aspects that made Tomb Raider fun, but also just not make Laura Croft a one dimensional boob machine. I don't know. Which is uncharted, uh, if I understand correctly. <laughs> that is that is correct. <laughs> kind of kind of does that tone. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah this is definitely the the latter there, where it, it is very much an Indiana Jones movie, except yes. not very fun. Uh, 
it it second act is is downright bad. It's very it mm-hmm. drags it drags. It's dull, but the uh, the open is pretty fun, and and the third act is quite a bit of fun. And uh, yeah. it's it's fine. You want to go to a movie? Uh, Tomb Raider's fine. But, I, do, I I was dozing in and out after uh, during the because the second act was just sort of sort of a drag. But I do remember waking up in the third act and 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 seeing a very hairy uh, Dominic West and and thinking for a second that uh, Gerard. Butler, who is in the film, um, <laughs> but the opening—the opening is fun. Um, uh, she's she's like this boxer, and then um, yeah, sort of down on her lot boxer, and uh, she also is a bike courier. <clears throat> and um, there's this bike scene that uh, is really fun, and it kind of made me think about Premium Rush quite a bit, um, which is a movie that I very much think is good and, or, or, and I think it's only getting better. It's only getting better because there, because it, it's like by definition, like the only movie of its type kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And seeing this, I was like, man, like, why are people not making premium? Like, why are not, why aren't we making like John wick, but on a bike? You should have asked Spike Lee that during the Q and a, yeah. Would you consider making a premium rush um, in Chicago? Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, that, that's kind of what I thought of. That that, that part's really fun uh, of the the film, and it's just like, man, people need to make these like interesting bike movie, these like action bike films. I don't know. Did you like that part, Myros? Yeah, I did. I did. I I liked um, quite a bit of the film, honestly. I mean, again, that third act when they actually get to the Indiana Jonesing is quite compelling as well. They're, they're like there's some bizarre mythology about a Japanese empress who's, uh, I don't know. The end result is it's basically a tomb that was built to withhold or to contain a plague because this person was just a, a carrier of a disease. But of course it has to do stupid video game bullshit or modern action movie bullshit, I suppose. And, and the plague ends up being like a fucking like rage zombie bullshit. So it's like, okay, couldn't it just be like, a deadly disease. Nah. <laughs> rage zombie horse shit. Gotta um, have the rage zombies. Yeah, but that whole, the whole scene where they're like kind of solving puzzles and getting deeper within this tomb, it's well realized and it's compelling. And I don't know, it's just that second act where she's kind of on this island and captured by uh, Boyd mm-hmm. Crowder and it's just like a bunch of slave laborers doing things in a jungle and being dirty and it's just it's boring it 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 loses momentum big time but Mm. yeah if if that segment were re-edited and it it could be a pretty good guilty pleasure movie and and even as it is it's it's totally fine i i wouldn't say it's significantly worse than most of the blockbusters you see these days Mm -hmm. it's on par to me with the your average marvel movie (laughs) Oh, I think, you know, the the one thing that we need to emphasize here is, even if the movie's mediocre, it's directed by a guy named Roar Uthog. <laughs> Literally, his first name is Roar. That's that's incredible. <laughs> Norwegian filmmaker. Uh, yeah, well, thank you, MoviePass, because <laughs> otherwise there's no way in hell I would have seen Tomb Raider. But, yeah, uh, shout out to MoviePass. Uh, Thank you for finally sending me mine a few months ago after like six months of not having it. So that was cool. It's really great. I kind of I wonder if this movie is in trouble because we we had yeah. quite quite the empty theater on its opening day. 
uh, at yeah. 7 p.m. on a Friday. It seemed like uh, I was like, ooh, ooh, boy. Yeah, I, I haven't seen a lot of TV spots. Uh, there's a shitload of online advertising, um, but the, yeah, I, there, there has not been a lot of TV spots, and this seems like the kind of movie where that's the audience you need to reach for, so I don't know. Also, I mean, the, the Tomb Raider reboot was a, a while back, but there hasn't been a new Tomb Raider game in a few years, so, and I, I know the reboot... It, it did well critically, and it did fairly well commercially, but it's still underperformed, so uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I, I'm seeing here that uh, Black Panther, Variety is reporting that Black Panther is is expected to beat Tomb Raider in its opening weekend, so that's that's not good that's news. That's not great. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. My candor is good, though. Yeah, no, the the cast all around, good good work. It's It's a perfectly fine movie there's nothing it is exactly that middle of the road thing but it's yeah i i i, I think we, we kind of talked about it as like uh slightly less than uh xander cage right it's just it lacks that sort of like dumb dumb nonsense to push it over the top it needs more dumb dumb nonsense it's just a little too self-serious yeah well, uh, yeah, I guess I, I still haven't seen Black Panther because I feel like I need to be the last person on Earth to watch it. So I was debating between Black Panther and Tomb Raider this week. Guess I'll go with Black Panther. Is that is that a good idea? Uh, you'd be fine either way. Fine either way. Black Panther's the hottest Black Panther's of takes. A little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we need to get to the most important part of our show. And I was thinking about this. We, we got to get like a we need like a theme song for this segment or something i'm gonna have to come up with something jake on the on, on the uh horn oh yeah see we, we need jake to hold up his cell phone to his microphone so we can <laughs> have a song but we gotta do the 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 911 report i almost called it the 911 report but that's that's different that's <laughs> that's that loose change baby uh yeah make sure everyone hasn't forgotten yeah you guys you guys didn't forget to watch 911 this week did you never uh, forget never forget never, forget. never ever forget uh, this is still the best show on television. Oh my god! Like it, it. So this episode, the latest episode, opens with a homeless man getting trapped in a garbage truck, and it's awesome because, it, it, and the movie, it, or the movie, the the show does a great job of explaining this. But the first thing the homeless guy does is dial nine one one from his cell phone. <laughs> And it's like, yes. and for like a solid 15 minutes, I'm just like, why, why does the homeless man have a cell phone? He's homeless. And then there's just a throwaway line where someone goes, why does the homeless man have a cell phone? And someone else goes, oh, because of this great program in the city where yeah. homeless people get cell phones. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's, it's like clear. Yeah. As soon as, as soon as it gets to the 911 call, it's like, wait a second. How, wh- wait, why? Yeah. Why does this homeless man? It, it's like immediately noticeable. Oh, yeah. But it but it also reeks of no one thought of this initially, like in the first draft. Right. And then they're just like, oh, shit, we got to patch this up. And they just kind of threw it in there. Right. They're like, oh, it's so they can keep in touch with their families. I'm like, well, if they had families that to keep in touch with they probably wouldn't fucking be homeless yeah that's that's what i was thinking too it's just like yeah i'll take a i'll take a cell phone call from you honey but you can't sleep on my couch i'm sorry yeah no it's micro suede you'll get it dirty oh boy (laughs) oh god so the the theme Uh, for this episode is trapped great yes uh which is with a t yeah not 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 with a bookended t not with a bookended t yeah 
not so like the doesn't uh, involve new metal. <laughs> does not involve new metal. It's not like that Joan of Arc movie. So that's good to know. Uh, <laughs> but as as usual, there's. I, I I don't even know how this show functions. Like how how they jam pack everything in. Do you think they just do they come up with the individual concepts for each little segment within the episode? And then they just kind of mix them up in a bowl and pick them out, or like how do they, how do they come up with all of these? But then, how would they achieve the delicate thematic balance? <laughs> that is that is true. That is true. You're right. Um, You're right. What is the so the the boy Howdy? I can't remember his his name, like Buck or whatever. Oh yeah, Buck. Big Buck. Uh, so is he trapped in this relationship with Connie Britton? Is that sort of well? That's that's what he initially because he's kind of a dick about it. So yeah, Connie yeah. Britton is supposed to go on a date with him, which by the way. And correct me if I'm wrong, they've only had two dates. The first date, he immediately choked, and she had to give him a tracheotomy in, in a restaurant, right? <laughs> That's date one. Date two, he's like, drive out to the middle of nowhere. I've like rented a, a hot air balloon. Yeah, it's, it's like a date from The Bachelor. And he's like, and there's champagne and truffles on board. Motherfucker, you are like a, a junior firefighter. Where Where is he getting hot air balloon and truffle money? That, yeah. that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And also, as a second I, date, coming on a little strong. Well, There's you got to keep in mind, Steve, that we've already discussed that, that clearly a month passes between each episode. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and, and we know they've been going to the bone zone, for sure. I yeah. think there's th- this episode, I think, was host to probably two legitimately heartfelt moments, I thought, which was one, Braverman, uh, or as Myers will call him, Sports Night. Um, yeah, Sports Night. Well, uh... Well, he's talking to Buck about he's sort of giving him relationship advice because he wants Buck wants to get out of this relationship where he can't really get to the bone zone as often as he's as he would like. Mm-hmm. Um, where, but Braverman is kind of like talking to him about how, you know, when you date somebody who's going through something, you sort of have to like dive in it with them instead of like sort of like just not being selfish and just sort of be there for somebody, which I thought was Good advice, yeah. first of all. I mean, it's pretty much like, uh, yeah, like, you know, Buck, you, you, you want to go to the bone zone, but you just want to be in the physical bone zone. You got to get to that emotional bone zone. Exactly. I feel like uh, I was I was judged by that monologue. It's like, you know, people who are worth a shit, they're going to have uh, very busy, full lives. You'll have to make time for I'm like, oh, what does that say about me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. what's, that say, what's that say about guys who do a podcast about 911? <laughs> uh, this is, uh, yeah. But... It's really also, interrogating me as a person right now. <laughs> also, uh, the woman with the clear glasses um, who is, like, trying to manage – or no, 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 no. She comes into this. I can't remember – oh, Angela Bassett. Uh, she she um, is starting this relationship. She's trying to get past the fact that her, her husband is gay, um, and she ha- is starting this this affair of sorts with this man, this other dude. Um, and they uh, want to get kinky in the bedroom, and they accidentally handcuff each other to the bed uh, away from the keys. And so she has to call friend who, with the clear glasses, um, to come help them, like, give them the keys. And it, and I think this is probably the best scene of the show that I've seen so far, legitimately, mm-hmm. where she's like, oh, here's the keys. And she's like, no, I don't want the keys. We want to be able to reach the keys. <laughs> uh, and it is sort of this really genuine moment. Uh, Jack said it was like the first time that like actual friendship was represented on the show. Uh, but it, it's like it, it's 
I don't know. It was almost like a scene I, I, I would have like seen on the wire, like one of the more like light moments I would have seen on the wire. Yeah. No, I agree. That was, an, a, an, like you said, a, a solid scene. And it was also interesting, too, because uh, it, we find out later, uh, Angela Bassett's character, unlike Buck, who thinks he wants the bone zone, but learns that he wants more, uh, we're led to believe that Angela Bassett wants more, when in fact, she just wants the bone zone. And yeah, good on her. True. I did not see that coming. I yeah. do. I can't tolerate the the trope of like an overtly cantankerous fifty year old who's uh, blue collar and in the midst of a divorce is, of course, the first person who she meets to have a potential relationship with would be some sort of a millionaire, insanely wealthy, uh, yeah, <laughs> successful, handsome man who wants to start a serious relationship, and it's, it's just like fucking. This is not the world, people. <laughs> No, well, yeah. I mean, there is a there is a heavy dose of artifice in this show. Yeah, <laughs> by heavy dose you mean literally the whole fucking thing. The whole thing, yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's the best part about this show is it's. I mean, it clearly thinks it takes place in reality, but it's clear that it, it's it's in the fucking Matrix, man. Like this is just, <laughs> it is the weirdest show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. But yeah, uh, a great episode. I'm telling you, the show keeps getting better and better and stupider and stupider. And uh, I mean, I would disagree. Oh, I thought this one was a bit it was a bit on the emotional overwrought side. I thought, I don't know, it wasn't uh, bad, but it was it was less compelling than some of the others. Sure, sure. Now, now, to be fair, there wasn't as many, you know, like silly rescue moments what what is what is your emergency uh, it was emotional but i think that because of how some of that emotional stuff played out at least the stuff with buck like every time he opened his mouth to talk about connie Britton, i was just like i, I wanted to like strangle him it was it was hilarious and yeah. infuriating at the same time so you were the well, biggest think, like, fucking idiot the question that we were asking is like how can this show talk, like the expectation was like, how can it keep topping itself? And I think in this episode, episode nine, it kind of was like, kind of subverted our expectations. It was like, um, we're going to have like a little bit of crazy, but uh, spend more time with, with sort of the emotions of the characters. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes with 10. How many episodes is this season slated for? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'd have to look into that. But either way, I hope it gets renewed for like 25 seasons. Like, I want this to be ER, except ER, dumb shit yeah. happening all the time. Yeah, it has. Uh, there was a previous episode, too. I want to say it was like five or something like that, where they, it, it did the same thing, where it just kind of slowed down. It was like, well, let's get to know these characters. I'm like, motherfucker, I don't want to know these <laughs> Wait, was, it, was that was that the episode where he, where he burns down the apartment complex with his vast yeah, array of yeah. space heaters? <laughs> Right, Sports Night has like. A, oh my god, I love that episode. <laughs> I just, I love, I love these old 1960s style space eaters that you have to dump kerosene into. It's like, dude. And he also had a, a, somehow he could afford to to rent a second apartment directly below his primary apartment in order to go and drink in the presence of space eaters. Yeah, that's everybody's got every, cuz you got you got your main apartment and then you got your side piece apartment where you get down and dirty with a bottle of jack and your space heaters. I will say I used to have one of those antique space heaters and it is basically an open fire. It is not okay. Yeah, those are bad. I uh there, there's one in my office right now currently and uh, I was at work the other day, and I accidentally, like, kicked it. I was getting out of my chair, and I just kind of, like, bumped into it. And it just shot sparks and flames at me. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> that doesn't seem safe at all. You might have to make an emergency. 
Yeah, 911, uh, my emergency is I kicked a space heater. <laughs> guys, I think I have bad news. I'm on the the Tribune here, and it says that there's only 10 episodes in season one. Oh, my God. God damn it. So, Although it, it does seem that it's been renewed already. Oh, thank God. How, how many uh, episodes does his, uh, do his other programs have? Uh, it varies. I think the standard FX formula is like a 13-episode run, mm-hmm. I which yeah. is where he primarily exists. <laughs> and what? So what other shows is this guy? I know he did one where like dogs take over the world or something or what? Dogs? <laughs> Didn't he? he, he uh, some Ryan pet Murphy. thing. Yeah, Ryan Murphy. He does American Horror Story. Uh, he did the American did Glee, Crime. Right? Yeah, Glee. Okay. Uh, Nip Nip Tuck. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yes. yes Nip Tuck yes. makes sense. Uh, God, what he is? He also does the American Crime Story with the the OJ and now the, the Versace thing that I have not uh, deemed to watch. Also, uh, Scream Queens. Okay, so he had he had yeah. nothing to do with. Oh man, what is that show called? There, it was it was like on um, the CW or something, and it was it, it's literally dog like Apocalypse. Yeah, Dog Apocalypse. I think that's what it was called. Where's Megan Connor when you need her? Uh, mm-hmm. She she would have the answer to this, and also tell me that I'm I wrong for thinking her. it was a Ryan we Murphy have show. Her on. Oh, we should, we should definitely have her on to like recap the season. Yeah, let's let's we'll do that. We're, <laughs> hey, this is the uh, part of the podcast where we talk about future episodes. Um, yeah, we'll have her on Make to to recap this after after we're all done. Well, also, shit. As is. As has become tradition with the nine one one report here, we have once again bypassed the uh, most batshit uh, segment of the episode. Okay, which one's that? The ending, which is, which is the uh, hoarder trap house. Oh yeah, I forgot about hoarder trap house. Holy shit, that is insane. <laughs> I, I don't even know where you. Uh, it's just it's nuts. So yeah, basically, if you haven't seen the episode, uh, there's two hoarders. One is blind. And his brother is not blind, and they have rigged their home with an elaborate scheme of like traps made out of newspapers and saw blades and bowling <laughs> so balls. And bowling balls. Yeah, so it's kind of like uh, yeah, it's like a game of mouse trap, but you live in it and in your own filth. It's uh, that's that's something. Uh, yeah. So one of the one of the brothers becomes buried in a tunnel of uh, detritus, and then uh, has to be pulled out but the the team can't get into the house because of the various traps and once they get in it, it becomes unrealistically easy he doesn't seem to be buried in any tunnel whatsoever he's just kind of laying on the floor but yeah and uh, then also the, the, the whole thing is is like uh the guy who got a piece of rebar through his head i forget what his name is we'll just call him old Jim rebar Lee. yeah he so they're like, oh, the only way in, like they're going around like breaking windows trying to get in. They're like, oh, the only way to get in is to crawl through this tunnel. And then he has to like disarm this elaborate trap made out of a cuckoo clock and some fishing wire and a saw blade and all this bullshit. And then he gets in and he's like, oh, we got to clear some of this stuff away. And the first thing he does is just like pull some boards off a giant ass window on the first floor. <laughs> and It's like a clear path to this blind old man. But they that, sure think. Yeah, you know. It's it's something. It sure is something. But yeah, holy fuck. they didn't really put a lot of thought into the interior of the trap house. I, I will say, yeah. it's like, oh, the entire house is filled to the ceiling with papers, except not at all. But no, it's just like stacks of old magazines, and then old Buck gets smacked with a bowling ball. Yeah, I guess if they would have, uh, it would have been a, a tremendous production burden to actually realize this house, and uh, also. In reality, this person would have had zero chance of survival in all in all probability. Yeah, I'd say so. 
I, yeah, I was I was hoping for some Home Alone traps, you know, but they they just didn't deliver on that front, unfortunately. Well, that bowling ball in the window that was that's a Home Alone trap. Yeah, that was a pretty yeah. good one. I just I just want uh, more. Even, what was like? What was the thematic resonance? Obviously, it was about being trapped in various situations, and mm-hmm. to me, it just read more as an indictment of the mental health care in America. I I, th- I thought the whole thing was so. They're they're trapped in their own home by by their own design. They've created this this prison for themselves, and also they are uh, they're they're sort of trapped with each other because they rely on each other. So the the one brother relies on the other one because he's blind, and then the other brother who can see relies on the other one for like I don't know emotional reasons. I suppose I I don't know. I'm looking into this too much. The answer is Ryan Murphy saw an episode of Hoarders. He's just like, yo, what if we put buzz saws in this? And that was it. Yeah, yeah. But between that and the homeless man who just like flees the the shelter they have been and immediately goes back to sleeping in dumpsters or something, it, it's just like what what are we what are we saying here? This uh, this all seems like a a great failing uh, by our, our country and the systems in place. And I don't think you're trying to say that, Ryan Murphy, but that's how it reads to me. Because the hoarder boys just go back to their hoarder trap house at the end too. It's like that's not. I think they would be uh, losing that house, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't think I hope, that's safe to live in. I hope. Uh, I hope uh, the season finale is just like the the second half of it is just like people getting bills for their uh, for their uh, emergency vehicle transportation. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah, I just 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 like sad ass Sarah McLaughlin mu- music playing, and then people just <laughs> opening envelopes from collections agencies. <laughs> or it's like um, Amy Mann's Wise Up but Save Up instead. Mm, I like that. That's good. Ryan Murphy, I know you're listening, man. Write this shit down. We got you. <laughs> uh, also, Connie Britton's mom dies at the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. That's just kind of like a book. Just kind of like <laughs> they really tack it on. Well, they need they need her and Buck to get on without any uh, uh, emotional uh, hurdles in the way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if you want a clear path to the bone zone, you can't have a senile mom in the middle. That's that's a roadblock. She slaps her. I forgot about that. She's uh she's I one of those. Gotta keep uh, the sassy nurse Carla involved in the proceedings. <laughs> yeah, I I need I need Carla's sass and wisdom. Otherwise, like I don't feel connected to her. Well, I guess now they've become close enough friends that she can yeah. just. Uh, it doesn't have to be an employee employer relationship. Which I, I didn't think like there's a trope I haven't seen in in a while. Uh, maybe I'm just not looking hard enough. But yeah, like the Carla the nurse man just pulling that fucking gone with the wind shit. Like that's it's uh, it's an interesting character. And by interesting, I mean really one dimensional. Nurse <laughs> nursing Miss Daisy. I yeah, know. nursing Miss Daisy. <laughs> Love it. Shit. Uh, well, guys, you know, this is this has been a good conversation. I'm glad, Sean, that you got to report for OptimismVaccine.com and definitely not another website, for sure. That's what you did. Uh, for real, though, Sean, where can people uh, find your, your writing on South by Southwest? Uh, filminquiry.com. Um, uh, I have uh, three journal entries where I talk about uh, all the stuff that I saw or most of the stuff. And then uh, I also wrote a full review of First, First Reformed. Paul Schrader movie. Nice. And uh, Sean, by the judging by the analytics, people don't really care about my diary, but they do care about Paul Schrader. Well, I can see that. I mean, you know, your diary doesn't have, uh, you know, the script from Taxi Driver in it. Maybe that's what you should have done. Every time you upload a blog post, just uh, just post a PDF of the Taxi Driver screenplay. You'll be fine. (laughs) That's how you get that sweet, sweet SEO, baby. That's right. Uh, Sean, what are you putting over this week? 
Um, since I uh, was, you know, just sort of had my hands full um, at uh, South by Southwest, I don't really have any other movies to talk about, but I have been reading, and I'm, I'm almost finished with um, the book uh, Almodovar on Almodovar. And um, as longtime listeners know, I went through all of his movies last year, and uh, I've been reading this in the wake of that, and it's just been an extremely fruitful experience. Um, I want to read more of these uh, director on on director series books, but um, uh, yeah, it's just really enlightening. Um, I mean, it goes film by film for most of it, but uh, he sort of just breaks quite often to talk about filmmaking in general or film in general um and it's it's really it's really cool i I, i've learned a lot and uh he's a smart guy nice uh so do you know which one you're gonna read next uh i think i think victor salva on victor salva would be something you'd be interested in (laughs) yeah yeah yep uh i think that's let me check yep that's that's the next one got it got it on hold of the library that's good that's great uh myros what are you putting over this week uh, I could put over something that I liked, except I haven't seen anything yet again. But uh, instead, I want to talk about uh, the other side of the Devin Faraci coin to me. Uh, a man known by the name <laughs> Film Film Crit Hulk. Uh, the uh, ying to Devin's yang. Yeah, two, two men who uh, defined badass digest and then have both since left. Uh, one for uh, rapey reasons and one for... Uh, white nighty reasons. Uh, so this man has has written a, a an article that is probably as long as the Almodovar uh, book that Nate <laughs> <Tom was reading. laughs> uh, called "What We Talk About When We Talk About Female Filmmaking," which well, uh, sure. You'd be you'd be the the expert on the subject, film crit Hulk. Yeah, it's it's a guy who pretends to be a, a, a film crit, critic version of a Marvel superhero. Like, why why wouldn't he know that? Yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah, and and the article seems to be uh, it's just about his own obsession with the uh, technical craft in filmmaking, and uh, it's it's literally ten thousand words, and he cites uh, one film directed by a woman that he's actually seen uh so, so i just want to say that's impressive good work man good work. <laughs> this was wait where can people find this they i'm not going to tell them that they, okay. they, they should not yeah don't don't give that guy clicks the thing that i the thing that i really love about this besides uh so myro sort of went through uh you were basically sort of his um ghost editor uh without him really knowing about it uh, sort of like pulling out just how many incoherent sentences um, that that he was making that that seemed that he seemed to think were profound. But um, what I think is is really funny is that it's uh, the title. Uh, what we talk about when we talk about filmmaking um, is whether he knows it or not, or or whether this is actually the root of it. Uh, reminds me of the Raymond Carver uh, book. What we talk about when we talk about love. Uh, Raymond Carver a man known for saying a whole lot with very few words. Um, and film crit Hulk has taken that tradition saying absolutely nothing and inverted a whole it. A lot of words. Yeah. <laughs> so many words. So very many words. Uh, yeah, this, he, this guy made his druthers by, uh, writing film reviews in the, the stilted voice of the Hulk in all caps. Uh, yes. It, it, I know a, a charming gimmick to be certain, but, um, 
he's since dumped that gimmick and now just I I wish he would just go back to it because my God he cannot write uh, sentences and obviously now that he doesn't have that uh, great Tim League editorial staff at his at his behest uh, this this just it descends into drivel it's nonsense and fuck this guy and you know what uh, Devin Faraci worse human probably uh, but better writer I'll give him that. <laughs> He's got something going for him. That's about it, though. I, I kind of want to check in real quick with Devin, too, because he does have an article that has uh, – I'm not going to say much, but, but you know, we were talking about how he's sort of uh, appropriating victimhood into his own uh, repertoire here. And he does uh, – you know, he has an article that uh, might sum that up a bit where, where it's entitled, It Doesn't Get Better, It Gets Different. Oh, uh, boy. Just, oh, the, sort of, just boy. the sort of thing – what should be writing as uh, as seen on cinemasangria.com. dot com. I will get fruit wine of, film. It, it gets better. Say, it gets better. Uh, in case you don't know, a thing that Dan Savage coined about uh, uh, victims of sort of our, our society's treatment of homosexuality and coming out. That is insane. Yeah, that is insane. Well, doesn't seem like the type of thing someone should co-op for that purpose. This is, this is not a thing that Demarachi should entitle an article. But, uh, yeah, I'm not going to get into the content of the article. It's pretty dull. Whew. It's just about his bullshit Buddhism. And, uh, but the point is, fuck you, Devin Faraci, and fuck you, Film Crit Hulk, and fuck you, Tim League, for doing this to us all. <laughs> is it, wait, is this our, our, the title of the episode? <laughs> fuck you, Film Crit Hulk. <laughs> that SEO! <laughs> Uh, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be good because then like he would probably write an article about optimism vaccine that's like thirty five thousand words and it's just like more than any of us have ever written combined in one blog post about how we <laughs> suck. But it's not actually about us; it'll just be about him. Uh, and then he'll name check a wrinkle in time or something. I don't know. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, that's that's good. I like that put over, Myros. Uh, I'm this week. I'm putting over. I'm putting over some music. I went to a concert on Thursday. I got real drunk. I uh, went and saw Hot Snakes, and they have a brand new record. It's called Jer- Jericho Sirens. It's their first record since 2004, which is weird because now they're, I mean, they were kind of old back then, but now they're real fucking old. So these guys are like pushing I 50. They existed. Yeah, right? Uh, well, they're back. And this is probably the best record they've made. And it's it's the heaviest and the angriest, and the, it's got the best songwriting. It's weird. Like, it's their most fully realized album. And they just, like, a few years ago, were like, eh, fuck it, let's just play a few reunion shows, and eh, I guess we'll record. Like, it, it didn't seem like a big deal to them, uh, but it's an incredibly good record, and they're they awesome live. Uh, it was originally supposed to be at the Cactus Club, but it sold out, like, immediately, so they moved the show to Mad Planet to accommodate oh, more nice. people. But, uh, yeah, it was packed. It was crazy. Uh, yeah, good show. Super loud. My ears were ringing all day yesterday. Because uh, I'm an idiot and didn't bring earplugs. So I'm going to be deaf by the age of 40. Exciting. <laughs> and with that, uh, thank you guys for listening. And uh, thank you, gentlemen, for being on. Um, Sean Glennis, where can people find you on Twitter? At Mr. Glennis. At Mr. Glennis. Uh, you can't find Adam Myros anywhere, but you can uh, check out his work on OptimismVaccine.com. And uh, you, you can go to Twitch TV slash uh, Wrecked Myros Based God. And you can watch him stream shirtless, uh, or you can just you know throw throw him some PayPal money, and he's a great he's a great cam girl. Let me tell you. 
You can find me on Twitter at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve C U F F. And uh, if you want to follow Optimism Vaccine, it's at Optimism Vaccine. Uh, you can email us optimismvaccine at gmail dot com. If you got any questions, comments, thoughts, um, you can just send us tweet us all your favorite film crit Hulk sentences. We're gonna we're gonna create like slam poetry out of them uh, for the next episode. And with that, uh, I think that pretty much sums it up. Except, hey, if you like the show, do us a big favor. Go to iTunes. Uh, rate us, give us five stars, a written review. It really helps our visibility. Um, when the more visible we are, the more you know we can make shit for you. And if if more people are listening, then we can send Sean to more film festivals, right, Sean? That's right. I'm I'm gonna go to Cannes. He's, he's going to Cannes, baby. All right, that's all we got. <laughs>